You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, episode 76, with Jennifer Witter. You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. What's up, Blazer Nation? Welcome to today's episode of the Trailblazers podcast. Our featured guest today is Jennifer Witter. She's a CEO and founder of the Borland Group, which is a New York City-based public relations agency. She's author of the little book of Big PR, 100 plus quick tips to get your small business noticed. Jennifer is an active speaker. She's presented at many different prestigious venues, such as the Pentagon, the Brookings Institution, and the United Nations, just to name a few. Her company, the Borland Group, was named one of five Black-owned businesses in the country, making a buzz. And before we dive into my chat with Jennifer, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners and a good friend of mine, Kid Chillin, who left us a review on iTunes about our episode 73 guest, Dorinda Walker. His review read, this episode touches on every aspect of life, from real life struggles to success in life, career, and family. Really enjoyed hearing one of our sisters starting from the bottom and making it to the top. Thanks for the awesome job you're doing, Stephen. Kid chilling. Gotta say enough respect, Bridgen. Thank you so much for your encouraging words and that five-star rating. Listen up, Blazer Nation. I need your help. At the top of episode 75, I said that I would love for us to push towards getting to 100,000 downloads for the podcast by the end of 2017. We just crossed the 50,000 mark. And it's a tall order. It's a big task to think that we can double up on downloads from the first half of the year. But I believe that together we can continue to spread and share the word about this podcast. I'm going to do my part to continue bringing some amazing guests. We've got a really awesome lineup this summer, but I need your help to share that content out. So do me a favor. One of the ways you can do this, if you're on an iPhone, this is part, you know, the podcast community. 75% of our downloads come from Apple Podcasts, right? So if you're on an iPhone, if you've not yet left us a review, please, I ask that you would help us grow this movement. Blazer Nation, I need you to hop in. If you've not yet done so, search for trailblazers.fm like you would a brand new podcast. Click on our podcast cover artwork. Click on the reviews tab and click on the link to write a review. If you could leave us a quick five-star rating and comment there on how the Trailblazers podcast is helping you, right? That would mean so much to us and help us to get the podcast in front of other people and help them to be able to join this movement, right? So another quick thing is if you are listening to the content of the episodes and you'd love to learn more about our guest, about our featured guest, you can hop on over to our website at tbpod.com. All our show notes are there for each and every episode. You can access all the links back out to those featured guests, as well as be able to share sound bites and blurbs via Twitter and on other social media. So that said, you know, let's go ahead and get set to dive into today's episode 
with our feature trailblazer, Jennifer Witter. Hope you enjoy. Jennifer, welcome and thanks for being our featured guest on this episode today. Stephen, it is such a pleasure. It, it was a long time coming, and I'm glad that we finally connected. Yes, yes. As we were talking about just, just a few minutes ago, you know, we've been talking since last summer about having you on. And you know, I'm just so yes. grateful to you for setting aside some time and, and allowing us to finally make this happen. Well, thank you. It's such an honor. I've been following your podcast for quite some time. I see the quality of work that you do. You have such interesting guests. So actually, I should be reversing this and thanking you for <laughs> having me on your program. So it's a mutual thank you. How is that? Absolutely. I'm all for gratitude. You know, it's, it's <laughs> something that I, I hold near and dear to my heart every day. I you know, I wake up, I feel blessed and grateful. You know, as, and thankful. Yeah, absolutely. Jennifer, I was, I was looking at and reading up a good bit about you. And, you know, I know your business, which we'll talk about a good bit through our call today, is, is based in New York. And you have a presence here in, mm-hmm. in near Washington, D.C. as well. But I wasn't 100% yeah. sure if you're a native New Yorker. Were you born and raised there? Yes, yes, I was. Um, I was born in New York City, and I have lived in the Bronx most of my life. But you and I have something in common, and that is my parents were born in the West Indies in Jamaica. Nice. So I am a first-generation American, and uh, my mother came over in the 50s. My father came over right after World War II. Wow. And both of my parents, especially my mother, she always said the United States was the best country in the world because of the opportunities it afforded. And she instilled such a strong love of this country into me and what I could do based on all of those opportunities. So it's it's been a, a, a wonderful, blessed life that I've lived thanks to the sacrifices that my, my mother made for her children. Mm. And it's really worked out well. Wow. I'm sure we could probably flip the script and have a pata conversation somewhere in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe not. Maybe not. (laughs) I know, you know, the funny thing is, and my wife is a first gen American born of a Jamaican dad as well. Yeah. And I find it so funny that you understand pata for the most part, unless it's spoken really fast. But. Mm Never seem to actually speak Pato <laughs> as well. <laughs> well. You know, I've never spoken it. And really? it's funny talking about voice. When I was growing up, a lot of people said, I can't believe you're from the Bronx because I don't have what's considered a Bronx accent. Right. And it was like, no, I, I was born and raised in the Bronx. And because I'm around West Indians all the time, I could understand the thickest accent. Yeah. And I'll never forget my uncle was speaking to me and there were a couple of Americans there. And when he went away, they said, was he speaking English? (laughs) 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 And he was as clear as a bell to me. And they were like, he must be speaking another language. Uh Yeah, Leela, anytime I start talking in Pato to my daughter, she she looks at me funny and kind of chuckles and like, daddy, you know, (laughs) what are you saying? (laughs) (laughs) Your wife is probably just listening for her name. What is he saying, honey? (laughs) 
So was there any part of your childhood and growing up in New York that you'd say prepared you for being the businesswoman that you find yourself you are today? You know, that's that's a good question. And uh, it goes back to my mother mm-hmm. because my parents divorced when I was very young. I was five years old. And my mother always said that with a divorce, my father got the house and she got $2 million. <laughs> and the $2 million she was referring to was my sibling you. and myself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and it was, yes, <laughs> you know how mothers are, especially yes. with Indian mothers. She couldn't care less about any other things, the materialistic things. She was just like, go ahead, take it. But the fact remained that we had a reduced living environment as a result. We went from a neighborhood where I would play on the streets like hopscotch and stickball and everybody knew everybody else. And we went into an apartment building. And I still remember the, the day that we moved out. It was like the 1960s. And we all of our stuff was able to fit into a cab. And we got to the apartment and... It was a one-bedroom, and back in those days, you could leave, like, your children unattended. So my mother had taken me up to the apartment, ran back downstairs to pick up my sibling and the other stuff. And I remember walking through the empty rooms, and my mother tells me that when she came back, I said to her, Mommy, where are we going to eat? We don't have a dining room. Mm. And it kind of broke her heart. She goes, don't worry, sweetheart, we'll get a a dining room. And we had one bedroom and my mother couldn't afford to have multiple beds. So for the first few months or years, I I really don't remember the, the time frame, mommy, my sister and myself all slept in the same bed. And during the winter, it would get so cold, so cold, and we didn't have heat. And mommy would put comforters over the windows and in between the room so that we would get some kind of warmth. But even though we didn't have you know, three beds, even though we didn't have heat sometimes, my mother made sure we had books. Yes. And we had a full set of contents pictured inside Wikipedia, which I think every person of a certain generation remembers. (laughs) Yes. And mommy never stopped working. I mean, she would work when she was sick. She was focused on generating income Mm. and she did a great job. Mommy was a, a nurse. And from those early years, it inspired, Build in me as a businesswoman that nobody is going to give you anything and you have to work to get what you want and you have to have a strong and honest business and work ethic that will uphold your reputation. Mommy, everybody loved her. She was a great nurse. She was highly respected. And you also have to have inner fortitude because after the divorce, my father's side of the family really didn't have much to do with us. My mother had brothers and sisters, but they were all over the world. They were in England. They were in California. They were in Jamaica. So she was basically by herself raising these two children. And I look back on it and I still think about it. Uh, as recently as this weekend, and I don't know how she did it. 
there would be days when she would go without sleep because she worked at night and she wanted us when she came home, she would scurry us off to school. And during the weekend, she would have Sunday and Mondays off. So Saturday night, Sunday morning, she would come home. And you know what it's like in a West Indian home. You went to church Sunday. That's right. So we would, you know, be ready for church. And then we would come home for dinner because she didn't want us cooped up in the apartment. We would take walks around and she would come home and, wow. and every dinner was freshly made. There was no such thing as leftovers. Amazing. And I, I just, I can barely take care of me. And to think that she did this. So when I'm feeling a little bit tired or a little bit worn, it's like you have nothing to be worn about because right. my mother was such a strong role model and she instilled such strong moral and religious values wow. that I carry it over to my business. And unwittingly, my mother built what I feel is me, which is a, a great entrepreneur, because she didn't have that in her head. She just wanted us to get a college education and be financially independent. But she was such a role model, and yes. she, she wasn't even aware of it. That's amazing. I can relate to the thoughts every time my wife travels for work and I'm left with Mm -hmm. these two for a week Mm -hmm. and profound respect in those periods for single parents, you know, and and what they are are asked to do. And, you know, as you said, I I look back now at the sacrifices my parents made with Mm -hmm. so much more respect for, you know, for what they did that, you know, we didn't appreciate as children, but as adults, as parents, as, you know, as working individuals, you have so much more respect and admiration for what they did to help give us a better footing. Oh, I so agree. I so agree. And with my mother, she never looked for a thank you. She, She never said anything because she made these sacrifices willingly because she loved her children more than she loved herself. Mm. And unfortunately, I I lost her about 17 years ago, but I still feel her strongly. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at her right now because I have her pictures in my apartment. Listening to you, Jennifer, you didn't lose her. You know, she's still living, living on through through you right now. And um, I know, I I have a guardian angel, and I know that I'll be reunited with her one day when I go to the next plane of life. No hurry, but I know that (laughs) she'll be there waiting for me. And as a matter of fact, that's how I named my company because uh, my mother, after. I graduated from college. She went back to her maiden name, and her maiden name was Borland. Oh, wow. And so I named the company the Borland Group to memorialize her. Wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. So we're going to be talking a little bit about PR, which for our mm-hmm. younger listeners uh, stands for public relations. And I've encountered so many people as a marketer who misunderstand the discipline and of PR and mm-hmm. some who think that, you know, it, it involves just press releases. <laughs> and no, right. No, so yes. before we dive deeper into our discussion, you know, I didn't want to make any assumptions for those who probably aren't in a, a marketing mm-hmm. or, you know, PR, like have that framework about them. 
Could you describe the concept mm-hmm. of public relations for those listening and, and maybe expand from there on, on explaining who actually needs it the most? Sure. You know, public relations is so nebulous. And if you were to ask 30 PR professionals, you probably would get 30 different answers. Mm -hmm. And the discipline has changed so much over the years because I've been in public relations since the the early 1980s. The way that I define PR is basically what my company does, which is to raise awareness of yourself, your products, your services to your target audiences using a variety of public relations tools. And those tools can be anything from media relations, which involves um, getting stories out there in print, broadcast online. Yes, writing, but not just press releases. It's writing articles. It is writing white papers, positioning which is basically how do you position your company that will define and differentiate you from your competition, social media, which is something that did not even exist when I started. And 10 years ago, it was just emerging. And now it has become such a strong communication channel. And within it, the different platforms from Facebook to LinkedIn to Twitter to Snapchat looking at which one of those platforms works best for the client. The ones that need public relations, I said this to many people, is that nobody will know how great you are until you tell them. Uh And in this highly competitive world, you need to go out there. And my phrase is to get your unfair share of attention. When I started my business 14 years ago, I never did any networking, never did anything like that because those were the glory days. Business just fell into our lap. Mm. But around 2006, 2007, at the time I was focused in on real estate. And before I started my company, I was a vice president at Ketchum Public Relations, and I had started a sub-practice there that focused on technology, and it burst, and it burst messily for those who remember those days. And I began to see in real estate what I had been seeing in technology, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, because it was just getting too bubbly. So I began to do public relations for myself. And I did the networking, I raised my visibility, I diversified my business, and thank God that I did, because when the Great Recession hit, my company was better positioned than other companies because I did those things. So for public relations, it's for businesses, again, to grow their awareness, but it also can be for executives who want to raise visibility to themselves and what they're doing. There's a lot more CEO, C-suite PR that's going on nowadays than 15, 20 years ago. And the other thing about PR that has changed from when I first started was that it was kind of like, oh, forget that. You know, we'll do it or we won't do it. And now it really has a place at the table where we're seen as a strategic business development and growth tool that will enable a company to keep moving forward 
regardless of the ups and downs of the external environment. You know, as you said that, I'm wondering if it's a great way to also be proactive in hedging against the risk of anything negative that pops up online. With online, (laughs) as you mentioned a minute ago, social media was nothing 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. The development of video technology wasn't Mm -hmm. what it was back then. You know, wasn't there 10 years ago, right? Like it is today with live and someone just being able to voice anything they feel like saying about you at any given moment in time. So interesting to kind of think of that as a a way to hedge and try to put out as much positive as you can ahead of the potential of anything coming back. Social media has changed our way of living so radically because back in the, the day, it would take time to communicate. I mean, it wasn't horse and buggy time, but now you have social media, you have all these 10,000 cable channels. And I totally agree with you that I could say something about you, Stephen, and in half an hour, it will go worldwide. And so if you have a reservoir of positive information, it will absolutely help to tamp down anything negative about you. That is the benefit of a strategic public relations plan, that it will assist you to weather those down moments or those attacks because you already have an established persona that you help to create, but is also authentic. So that if somebody says Stephen is X, Y, and Z, you already have A through you know, Y saying, you know what, that's that's not correct. Right. And it, it really does have a, a positive impact on one's reputation. And, you know, that's you know, called personal branding. It's what people say about you once you leave the room. Absolutely. And by building a personal brand and nurturing it, and making sure that it is spreaded throughout everything that you do really does strengthen you for those times when, you know what, you'll need it. Look at Kathy Griffin. Yes. And with that, you know, the time that we're speaking right now, it was uh, a few days after that horrendous picture that she had where she was holding this mask and it looked like Trump's head. And, you know, it really has damaged her. And she really doesn't have that huge reservoir of goodwill because of the way um, she has been, the, the, kind, the kind of comedy she has done. Right. And it really has dinged her very, very badly. Yeah. So that's like a, a real-world, real-time example of how you really need to create positive as opposed to negative. Yes, those cri- PR crisis. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I mean, we, we try to stay away from that. I am not a believer that any PR is good PR. I mean, the time, energy, and effort it takes to tamp down bad PR, bad press, you know, even though you'll be able to mitigate it, it's still in the ether. It's still there. And if it happens one time and then another time, 
then you know those times begin to build up and all of a sudden you may have a mole of an issue that grows into a mountain. And it's just not worth it to me. I'd rather focus on having a public relations program that generates positive, encouraging, uplifting images and stories of my client. Right. You know, as you're saying that, is reputation management a part of that plan for the Borland Group? You know, because we're talking about, mm-hmm. enc- we're encouraging folks to develop and have and create what they want to be their PR, you know, that story mm-hmm. that they want told about them. But mm-hmm. all too often, I find that people don't have a plan in place to ensure they're aware when they're mentioned in a negative light. Yes. You know, definitely. And with every client that I have, we always put in tactics that will assist them in building their brand and having a reputation that we want them to have. And by that, I mean, again, going forward and having a very strong business acumen Maybe they have a strong relationship with a a nonprofit. We highlight that as well. If they are doing a speaking engagement at a high-level conference, we will promote that as well. It's pulling all these different aspects of the universe of their business lives to create, again, a genuine, authentic persona that is truly them and is able to communicate to their audiences the objective of their business, of their thrust, of their their goals. Right. So let's unpack that a little bit more, right? I'd love to, okay. to maybe have you share some wisdom with our Blazer Nation and guide us through how we can actually begin to use PR as a, a business growth tool. Well, I would say one of the first things is to acknowledge that you need public relations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some companies, they come very early to me. When I say early, is that they're just starting up. And what I tell them is, you know what, wait, build up your company because early stage, it can be very difficult. Sometimes mistakes are made. You want to spend time getting the wrinkles out and making some money and being a little bit more established. So I would say within the first couple of years, just focus on growing the business, saving some money, and building a reputation. Then with public relations itself, for those who need it, I say to them, okay, let's sit down. And for every potential client I have, I meet with them. And we have a long discussion What are you looking for public relations to do? What is your objective? What about your competition? What are they doing? What are your plans? And I always ask for a copy of their business program. The reason being is that public relations alone will not forward your objective. Hmm. It is a tactic within your business plan that will complement the goal and help you to achieve it. So when people come up to me and say, I'm just doing public relations and I want PR to generate X amount of dollars, and I will say to them, PR alone cannot do it. Mm. 
if they come back to me and say, well, we want to do it and it's going to be like that, then I walk away because it's not going to be a good relationship. So it's no overnight or a quick, quick fix. No, 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 no. This takes time. And I tell them that as well. And, you know, everybody wants to be, you know, on the cover of the Wall Street Journal or, you know, or the, the, the Washington Post. And this is what I tell them. Yes, I can appreciate why you want to be on the cover of these established publications. But is that where your audience is? Right. Are they reading the, you know, the Washington Business Journal over the Washington Post? Are they more influenced by WTOP radio than any other outlet? So it really is sitting down and explain. First of all, I, I put together a program. For anyone who's working with a, a public relations agency or consultant, there has to be a program. It is a roadmap of where you're going. Right. And with that program, it should be an objective, strategy, right. tactics, yeah. and as yes, much yes. measurement as possible. Yes. It embarrasses me when I hear of people working with companies when they don't have a peer program. And then they get into the proposal, they have this relationship, and their needs are unmet. They don't understand. So when you put together a program, before you start, you know you're on the same page. Because sometimes it's like a, a game of telephone. Like, you say this to me, Stephen, and then I write that. And you're saying, I didn't say that. Right. So at least we're working together on the same page. And then with the tactics, I don't do cookie cutter plans. For example, I just, you know, finished working on a plan for an association down in the DC area. And it's all about employee branding, employee engagement. And so I put together a plan specific to that association. Now I'm doing another plan for a small business, actually two small businesses, and I am putting together tactics that if you were to look at the plans, they just don't mesh, meaning that they are getting customized tactics. You know, one person will be heavy on media relations. Another company will be more on internal communication. So by breaking it down and knowing what to ask, for example, if you're looking for a PR company, ask them, what have you done? Take a look at their website, right. you know, talk to them about their area of expertise within the field yes. that you are in, you know, look to see what kind of engagement they have within the public relations community. Are they part of PR groups? Have they written articles? How big is their name? When I say how big their name is, it doesn't mean that they are in D.C., you know, in the White House. But what it can be is that they are known and respected and they produce work that will enable you to get your money's worth because there's nothing worse than putting out thousands of dollars. And I've heard this before where people have spent literally tens of thousands of dollars and not have gotten the results that they anticipated. Right. It's a lack of prop expectations too. Yes, exactly. And that's why I always say, let's sit down and really go through this. And with my business, I call it a chem check because 
in my past life, I've worked at a couple of other peer companies. I always got the the most difficult clients. <laughs> and they used to be like ornery. They used to be mean. Whenever I would leave a company, I would hear that the account that I was leaving, people would say, we are not working on Jennifer's account. No, no way. <laughs> and it, it was just like, uh, you know, it wears you down after a while. And so with the Borling Group, what Benefits I say of, is... of running your own company, you can tell them. <laughs> you can choose, <laughs> that choose is the customer. <laughs> you know, that, that is a perk, let me tell you. <laughs> I don't like you. Goodbye. That's right. <laughs> and you know what? That did actually happen. One client did slip under the radar. And, you know, for me, I do not accept clients that I do not like trust and respect because the business that I am in, it's not nine to five. Mm -hmm. And there are times when I've had to have meetings at night at night or over the weekends because that was the client schedule. And if you're going to do this, I really feel that you have to have a respect for the person. Absolutely. And there was this one client that the initial meetings went well and I signed her. It was a good chunk of change. And we started on a Monday. And then the Sunday before we started, there was a cover story in the Sunday New York Times about exactly what she did. Monday morning, I keep in mind, she wasn't our client until that Monday that we started. She called me up in a fit and said, how come we were not in that article? You didn't service us. And I said, Uh. weren't representing you. And it went downhill from there. And after two weeks, I said, this is not going to work. I'm sorry. And it was, I have to tell you, such a relief to know that I had the power to walk away from a client like that. Absolutely. And that's a lesson to the listeners. You know, I've done the same, Jennifer. I've walked away from serious money as an entrepreneur. And then decline mm-hmm. business, you know, to yeah. to clients because you have to realize that sometimes that money it is not worth the headaches that come. Life with. is too short. <laughs> it is. I agree with you totally. It you is. know, to have a toxic client, and my staff was getting upset, and they were very tense. And I learned this through Susan Thomas. She was the owner of Thomas Associates, and I worked for her agency in 1997, and it was the first PR agency where I worked where the owner put the staff ahead of the client, and that had never happened to me before. And she said, I would rather lose an account than lose staff. Mm -hmm. And so I have always followed that. And for me, my staff um, were like a work family. Yes. We've been together for many years, most of us. We've been through births and deaths and illness, and we're very tight. And if they're not happy, I'm not happy. Right. And so they know that I put them first. And I tell the clients that as well, because they have to treat my staff the way they treat me. <laughs> That's that's good stuff. I mean, that's a good culture to have in place. Uh, I'm sure that has been rewarding many times over, right? 
It has been. We are tremendously loyal to each other. And I'll give you an example. I had come home one day. It was early in the morning. I had gone out exercising and I had all these phone calls from my sister. And I called her back and I said, what is it? And she said, daddy died. Mm. And I was like, what? And then she said, uh, he's on life support. And the long and short of it was that he did die. And then the ambulance, the EMTs brought him back to life. Wow. And he was in the hospital on life support. And she goes, we have to figure out whether or not to take him off. And I was like, I, I can't begin to tell you how distressing it was. And that day I had all these appointments. So I threw on some clothes and, you know, reached out to my staff and I just emailed them. I said, I alerted them to the situation and just ran off. And every one of them said, don't worry about it. We will run the company. And that's what they did. I mean, not even a blink of an eye, not even anything. They just pulled together and they, they took the burden of the company off me. And when I was burying my father, every one of them came to the service. I didn't even ask them. And every, and some of them had to travel far. They, they came, they came with their um, spouses wow. and they, they sat through the, the service. And so when you have that, you don't give it up. And we are so loyal to each other that it truly is one of the strongest bonds that I cherish. Wow. Jennifer, at some point, at, at one point, you were doing this by yourself before being able to scale. What mm-hmm. were some of the attributes that you've, looking back, uh, you know, how did you go about hiring that type of team? And what qualities did you look for to be able to put together that kind of culture and mindset and people? Well, you know, it, it comes from the top. And, you know, you have to lead by example. And, you know, before I worked at the Borland Group, I had worked at other PR agencies. And I had been in a couple of companies where if they said, oh, you must have taken a great deal away. You must have learned so much from us. And I'll say yes, and they'll take it the wrong way. I have learned how not to be an employer by some of these agencies because of the way that I was treated. And you can't treat people a certain way and think that they're going to have loyalty and respect and a a true interest in the person and having flexibility. Like most of the women on my staff, they're mothers and they have young children. And I say to them, you know, if you need to go to a play to see your child in a sports event or you're going to take them to the doctor, Go ahead and do it. In my company, it is family and health first. And then it's work. And they also know that the hours can be non-traditional. Like one of my staff members, she works best early in the morning before her children go off to school and whatnot. So she'll work like between 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. to get the bulk of her work done. And, you know, again, I I really don't care. Now, as to finding these people, 
Well, a couple of them, I worked with them in the past. And then another one, believe it or not, I met her at a party. Wow. And I just had a good feeling about her. So I gave her a couple of assignments and she hadn't, you know, she had been out of the work world for several years and she has grown into such an outstanding professional. So, you know, for hiring people, I, I look for generosity. It's not exactly the skill set, but the willingness to learn character and we're all type A's. I don't know if that's good or bad, <laughs> but you know, it's like they will check their phones over the weekend. One of them, you know, she, she takes Fridays off and it just works out for her. And a couple of times the client has said, can we talk on Friday? And she'll go, okay, fine. <laughs> and I, and I told her, you know, that is your time. So unless there's an emergency, right. you know, tell the client, you know what, we can talk on Monday, but she was willing to give up her time, you know, but then you have to tell them because I don't want them to be like me because I work all the time, right. all the time. Right. And that's my responsibility as the CEO founder. I want them not to feel that work is a drag or burden, but something to go to that they enjoy as part of a well-balanced life. Right. It's important. And I mean, the success of, of your brand and your business over this long period of time, you've been in business 13, 14 years now, right? Yes. Yes. It's been a while. I, you know, just to take a, a moment to talk about work-life integration, mm. it's not easy. And there was a time when I didn't take a day off. And I was speaking with a woman who was transitioning from one career to another, and she was becoming a life coach. And she said, Jennifer, you really need to start taking time off. Yes. So I have been taking a full day off a week. And it really makes a difference. Absolutely does. And this summer, I have to say, I wanted to take a, a trip. I wanted to go to Amsterdam, but because of work, I won't be able to do that. But what I'll do is take a series of Fridays off so I can have longer weekends because there really isn't a demarcation anymore between work and life. And you know, I, I feel that this is the same way with you. You don't turn down business because you never know what's going to happen. Right. But on the flip right. side, you do have to build in time for self-care. Yeah, you need the margins. You absolutely need some white space, you know. And yeah. I go pretty hard as well, but I'm one to listen to that voice <laughs> that yeah. says, hey, yeah. you need to shut off. And, you know, yeah. allow your body to, you know, balance. And that's a difficult piece. You know, what you're talking about is something that, yeah, seven, eight years ago, I, I now we're in 2017, probably a dozen years ago, I was mm -hmm. trading the markets. You know, I used to trade foreign currency uh, and I'd be up. At, my sleep cycle was crazy. You know, I'd, I'd be yeah. down at nine, up at two in the morning, trading yeah. Europe and, you know, getting two and three hours sleep at a time, no kind of REM. And it was difficult, you know, and entrepreneurial life is just hard. You know, it's a hard life. Yeah. But, you know, I have learned over the years that you, you absolutely must 
you know, work that time in to allow your body to rest, allow your mind to rest. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, trust God that your business is going to be there, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I encourage you, you know, to, to, to find that time to, to enjoy some of the success that you're having as well and, and, and find that time for that vacation. I couldn't agree more. I did a speaking engagement a couple of days ago and it was in the Wall Street area and I was leaving the venue and it was about nine o'clock at night and I saw a man come out and he paid this guy on a bicycle and basically it was a delivery man and he was delivering the guy his dinner and the guy was just walking back into his his office building at nine at night and you know that he was going to be there for hours and hours wow. and hours. And I looked at that and I said, I'm glad I'm not you. Right. Um you know, I mean, I'm sure, I, I hope he enjoys it, but like you, I've been on those cycles. There was one period at an agency where I wasn't getting home until 11 at night, and then I was leaving for work at 6 in the morning, and the only thing that got me up in the morning was the fact that I would be able to sleep on the bus for an hour uh, before I got to work. And that's not life yeah. at all because time is like water through fingers and we're already mid-year. I mean, it just felt like it was Christmas just the other day. And at the end of our lives, we're not going to say, I got that plan out. We're going to say, I spent a wonderful afternoon with my son singing happy birthday. That's right. Or on a picnic together. That's what matters. Yes. So true. Mm -hmm. So true. Yeah. Jennifer, it took a long time for me to learn that. So how do you remain hungry and focused on reaching higher heights with the Borland Group today, right? Like what's still driving you to push for more? I am naturally competitive and I always, always pushed myself. From the time I was in school, whether I was, you know, working for others and the joy of this business, public relations, that it's always changing. It's always something new. And yes, I've been in public relations for three decades, but the experience that I've had, the industries that I've been involved in, it has been from high tech to interior design to cybersecurity. Wow. And that there is so much interesting things going out there and the work environment has changed so much and with the advent of social media and all the emerging technologies and also because I needed a point to keep things fresh which is one of the reasons why I expanded to the DC area because I wanted to get fresh ideas meet different people get exposed to different things and I'm so glad that I did. And you know, I traveled back and forth. I'll be in D.C. in a couple of days. We're doing this while I'm in New York. But it just keeps the company constantly evolving right. and never staying static. And the enthusiasm of my staff and, and myself about what we're doing and how we're doing it and doing new things like the boot camp that we're doing tomorrow is the first time we're doing one and we organize it. I'm working with another PR company for it. It takes 
exciting. Uh-huh. And I think that if you can't find excitement in what you do, then perhaps you it's a sign that you need to do something else. Yes. Yes. So that said, right, if for for those listening who maybe want to make a career shift or or young listeners who are looking at a career in PR, what kind of advice would you give to them? I would say you have to know how to write. That is the basis of public relations. I would also say that they should get internships. It's one thing to learn in a classroom. It's another thing to apply it in real world time. I would also say that no matter how young you are, you can be in college, you could be in your early 20s, network. That has gotten me so much simply by networking and following up with my networking contacts has really assisted my business tremendously. And then last but not least, they should look into joining PR communication societies like a PRSA. Tomorrow, the event that I'm seeing, it's the launch of the New York chapter of Women in PR USA. They should be looking at organizations such as that They have lower rates for individuals who are students or at the beginning of their career and take advantage of the training classes that they have, the the education programs. So I would say to network, join membership organizations, take classes, uh, development classes, and then also to go into uh, companies as part of their internship programs. Right. Jennifer, mm-hmm. I, I haven't even had a chance to get into talking about pitching and public speaking and all this other goodness <laughs> with you. I guess I you. have to come on again. I guess you have to come back on again. <laughs> we have I to. <laughs> I, enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy talking to you. So we absolutely will do that again at some future oh, point. Oh, I can't wait. Before I let you go, though, there's a couple more questions that I have for you. Or Blazer Nation loves to hear the resources and tools of our feature Trailblazer. And so I wanted to pick your brain and, and maybe hear of a book that you've read that, that's maybe inspired you most. You know, the book that I read, this was years ago, and it has always stayed with me. It is some aired. And it is called, They Can Kill You, But They Can't Eat You. Wow. And it's by Dawn Steele. And she has since passed away. She was one of the first women to head a major motion picture studio. And she talks about climbing the ladder. She came from a working class background. And she had to work among men who were very affluent, very well educated, She didn't have that background. And the advice that she gives in the book, even though it was written probably, it was written in the 1990s, what she says still resonates today. And I always tell women, because I'm a passionate advocate for women in the workplace, they should go on Amazon because it's not in print anymore and to read the book. It is an Excellent, excellent trimmer for for women in the workplace. She was like the Sheryl Sandberg 
before Sheryl Sandberg was Sheryl Sandberg. Wow. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that one. As we wrap up, I'd love to invite you to share one action that all our aspiring trailblazers should commit to this week to help them blaze their trail. What I would love for them to do, I just did a presentation on social media the other day, and it always makes my head do a 360 spin when I hear from entrepreneurs not using social media. So what I want my fellow trailblazers to do is to engage in social media activity and pick a platform, any platform that you feel works best for you, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter, and commit to start using it to grow your business, grow your visibility, because through social media, through Facebook, I have generated tens of thousands of dollars. Through LinkedIn, I've gotten speaking engagements, one of which was speaking at the Pentagon. So I would say to my fellow trailblazers, get on social media. Start posting tomorrow. You can do a simple post. You can post about this wonderful program, but start using it. Yes. Jennifer Witter, thank you so very much for being our guest today. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And again, we have to have you back at some future point. I would love it. And thank you, Stephen. Again, it's such an honor for me to be among the the many high-level, interesting guests that you've had on. So from my heart, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tbpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers. Cheers.